Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 7th, 2016. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Scott, how could you leave your business partner to fend off a hurricane? How dare you, know, you be out of the state? I've been driving around uh, my native state of Ohio this week, uh, talking to folks, and everywhere I go, people are like, where are you from? I'm like, ah, originally from Columbus, but now I'm in Florida, and they're like, ah, good week to be up here. And I'm like, here's the thing, folks. For the 16 years I've lived in the Tampa Bay area, I have never been home for a single hurricane. <laughs> that is so weird. <laughs> course, we really haven't had that many either in those 16 years, no, too. No, that, that's, that's very true. But, but yeah, that's pretty funny. Literally never been home for a hurricane, so people ask me, are you scared? I'm, no, I'm usually going to be on the road. I'm almost sure I'm going to be on the road. So <laughs> That's hilarious. But we'll see whether I get home on Sunday or not. You know, I'm not so sure about that. Oh, yeah, maybe. Airports are closing and things like that, but, you know. Hey, worst places to be than uh, home of the uh, soon-to-be national champions, so. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we'll see about that. So how are things in Ohio? Uh, wonderful. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's always nice to come home and see the family, see the Buckeyes, uh, and uh, see all my, all my old haunts and friends and stuff like that. Um, but also, when I get up here, it's nice when I'm able to um, visit uh, as many of our wonderful casinos in my home state now. Um, I made it to three of the four this trip. but uh, didn't make it up to Cleveland this trip because I was just up there not too long ago. But um, some stuff is happening up here in Ohio, Chris. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the the interesting thing that all three of these casinos have in common, and that's Hollywood, Columbus, Hollywood, Toledo, and uh, the Jack Casino, which is uh, rebranded, used to be the Horseshoe Cincinnati, um, is, interestingly enough, all of them are looking for new tournament partners, wink, wink. Yay! Uh, <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, folks around the country that live near a Hollywood property know that they had the Hollywood Poker open for, I believe, the last four years or so. Um, that is no more. They uh, decided it ran its course. Um, they obviously still have the name and might do something with it in the future, but in its... Um, how it was done in the last couple of years where they had events at all the Hollywood properties and the center Bay out to Vegas for a championship will not be happening. Um, and then, of course, Jack Casino used to be Horseshoe Cincinnati, and um, it was a shared ownership between uh, Dan Gilbert, who owns the uh, Cleveland Cavs, and Caesars, um, which owns uh, all the Horseshoes and the World Series and that. Um, Gilbert owns it all now, including the one up in Cleveland, and uh, obviously they don't have a relationship, an ownership stake, at least, with Caesars anymore. So for, for the time being, it sounds like uh, there won't be another circuit event coming here, um, at least for a while. Um, so um, all four of these uh, casinos are in the market. So hopefully um, 
they uh, they all seem interested in having Annie up out, so we'll see what happens with that. But uh, nice. that's one thing that all of them have in common. Very good. Now it's Jack Cleveland too. Now isn't it? It's Jack yeah. Casino Cleveland, right? Jack. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And I've been calling it the Jack, which I think is kind of cool. But um, there's there's no actual the, so I'm just adding <laughs> the Jack Casino. Just but, your normal trend setting ways. Yeah. Well, you know, you like uh, you know Saturday, I'm going to go to the game at the Shoe, right? Yeah, you know, the Shoe. Shoe, right? So I'm still going to call it the Jack because I just think. That's <laughs> Uh, but individually, some stuff going on at each of these. Uh, Hollywood Columbus, um, I took the red eye from Vegas, bleary-eyed, but drove over there, had my meeting and lunch, because uh, that's the dedication I have to any up in the any up nation, right? Um, and imagine my surprise when I get there at noon on Friday, and uh, I believe all 35 of their tables were going at wow. noon. Friday. Now, obviously, it's Friday, and things get a little busier. There's not be more impressive if it was noon on Tuesday, right, the slow day, but... But that's pretty impressive to see in any casino, um, every table going at any point, really, other than Friday nights and Saturday nights when, you know, the biggest rooms are always have the most players in. Uh, now, of course, uh, uh, part of it, if not maybe all of it, <laughs> had to do with the fact that they were giving away $1,000 every 30 minutes. Nice. Now, in Florida, we kind of, uh, you know, with Trailblazers in the $500 every half hour right. promotion, um, which you can only do so often because it really blows through your player uh, promotional fund. And usually when I travel around the country, people are like, man, that's just crazy. $500 half hour. I'm going to talk to poker managers, right, who, you know, are excited when they have enough money to do $100 Aces Cracks promotions <laughs> with a promotional fund. Um, but I, I, I can't believe, I, I can't. Think back to when I've seen a thousand-dollar high hand. I'm sure it's happened somewhere before, but um, but what an amazing promotion for those players! No wonder the the room was full. And I was actually going to stick around and play a little bit, but <laughs> wait list for like hours long. Yeah. So. so it wasn't tied to like they're getting rid of their bad beat jackpot or something like that. It was just no. Wow, no, that's yeah, huge. No. Yeah, yeah. So just huge. I mean, uh, I believe both Columbus and Hollywood Toledo have recently gone to a five plus two uh, rake structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so for folks that know what that means, it means $5 uh, in rate goes to the house and then $2 goes to the promotional fund where, you know, the, the old norm used to be $1 for promotional fund for rooms that even took that, right? Yep. So that obviously immediately doubles um, the promotions that they can do. Um, so uh, both these, uh, both the Hollywoods are still linked under bad beat, um, but a, only a small portion of the those $2 in both rooms goes to the bad beat. The rest goes to other promotions. So uh, the both rooms are able to do some really interesting stuff um, outside of the linked bad beat, which is always cool when you have a linked bad beat, right? Yeah. Um, and then I uh, headed up to uh, Toledo, um, and before I went to see Alice Cooper, rock hands, <laughs> um, stopped by Hollywood Toledo, which is the room run by our call the floor expert, Elliot Schechter, and got to talk to him for a while, always fun. He is one of the smartest poker managers, if not the smartest that I've ever met, and it's so much fun actually talking to him about all kinds of stuff. Um, not a lot of news there right now. I mean, obviously, they're fighting a battle with the, the casinos up in Detroit, which... Um, interestingly, don't really do much to promote their poker up there. Right. Um, but it is it is a challenge to get folks to drive that uh, hour or so down to, uh, from Detroit to a room that, that might be doing some more stuff. Um, but he's doing quite well up there. Um, one interesting thing is uh, they changed the buy-in for their 1-2 No Limit game to a max $200 buy-in. Ooh. And it was essentially to help protect uh, players. You know, this is one of the things that I don't think players realize on the outside. You know, they want to be able to come in the poker room and play whatever limits and games they want. 
if they have enough people. And even if you have 20 people on a list for a 10, 20 PLO game, um, we might not open it and they're like, why not? You got plenty of people there. Um, and in some cases, it's because the poker room is, you know, I hate to say nanny, being a nanny or mom or dad, but um, they do have a responsibility to protect their players. You know, if players are playing above their heads or above their bankrolls, um, that's not good for them uh, as a player, obviously. Um, and selfishly, it's not good for the room or the market because once the people go bust, then the games go bust, and then the poker room goes bust, and then no one's happy, right? So yeah. it's kind of one of those, uh, what's that old fable where you kill the goose to get the golden eggs out of it instead of letting them just sit there and plop them out one by one, right? Yeah, and the other thing, too, is it, it, it really falls in line with what they do most of the time with buy-ins anyway. When it's a 1-2 game, generally... The max is two hundred. If it's a fifty cent dollar game, the max is a dollar. If it's two five, it's two five. You know, two hundred, five hundred. Generally, you find that a lot when you go around. So it's not that far out of the realm of what it should be anyway. You know, I mean, I see like you, you mentioned that the the two five room gets bolt two five game gets bolstered because of this, and they have a three hundred one thousand min max. Yeah, and that's fine because you're choosing to play bigger, but. One two. It's not like it's one three or it's one hundred three hundred. It's one two. That doesn't sound too bad to me. That, no, that's it, about right. I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's just one of those things where you're used to walking in and, and if you're a max buy-in player, you know, plumping down three hundred and yeah. now you're a little um, um, scared, I guess maybe because you don't have enough bullets. You don't think? Yeah, you know, maybe. It took a thirty-three uh, percent reduction in your armory, um, and I'm saying that because I played Call Call of Duty for the first time yesterday. Boy, <laughs> Call of Duty. Talk about getting shot up by your ten-year-old nephew. But wow. <laughs> um, but he's like, Uncle Scott, you got to reload. I'm like, I can't even move. <laughs> you you just literally imitated your ten-year-old nephew and sounded like him when you did your own voice. <laughs> just so you know. You're identical to your ten year old nephew there. <laughs> no, I'm not identical because he's a better better soldier than I am. Yeah, that is true. Uh, but anyhow, um so yeah, yeah. So the one advantage of the change there though was that the two five game has gotten better and more stable there. So, you know, if you really are looking for a decent and I hate to call it decent poker game and, and suggest that the one two two hundred max is not decent, you know, it, it can be perfectly fine for you depending on what you're looking for. Uh, the 2-5 game is probably a more pure game for you now, and it is uh, 300 to 1,000 min-max there, so you can get a lot of play there, and those games have picked up for the players that do have the bankroll and uh, to be able to, to handle those big ones. Uh, but the other players are being, you know, rightly or wrongly, in my opinion, rightly protected uh, by having a smaller uh, max buy-in. Yeah. Um, and then I ended the trip uh, driving down to the Jack. I don't care what it's called. The Jack. <laughs> Um, and um, the one thing I was the first question I asked and I asked a bunch of people while I was waiting for the poker manager to come out is how the transition went when they rebranded from Horseshoe Cincinnati and I say rebranding and that's almost it's not a big enough word because you know you know if Andy up the two of us decided tomorrow to change our name to uh, the Jack magazine yeah right? yeah um, it's just simply a rebranding. This was a rebranding based on an ownership sale, so that gets a little bit more difficult, right? Because you get player club uh, changes and maybe even some personnel and things like that. Um, but it sounded like uh, everybody said it went smoothly by um, by all counts. There were very small hiccups there here and there, but everybody said it went way better than they thought it would. So I don't think uh, too many people really noticed much of a difference. Uh, but it's beautiful now. I mean, it was beautiful before, but uh, the Jack logo is really kind of cool and hip, I think. 
think. So I think people kind of like that. And the poker room's gorgeous there, just as it is at both these other rooms as well, too. But all three, including even four, if you count the horse, I mean, the Jack <laughs> Cleveland, right. um, are really, really well-designed rooms. Um, so folks in Ohio have really good places to play. Um, and um, so that w- that was interesting that, that that transition went pretty easily. Um, and then I was also surprised because I was there on a Wednesday morning pretty early. And uh, there was a list of interest for PLO, and there were two no limit games going. I think at that point, and they were about five minutes. They said away from starting the PLO game, so I was like, "Wow, that's kind of interesting that a PLO game's getting going on Wednesday morning that early." And uh, so I asked uh, how often they get it going, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have one to three tables going every day here." Jeez. And they even have bigger ones too. I think they have a two five. I mean, I, I don't. I think they they might have said like a ten twenty on the weekends or something. But um, so if you're looking to play PLO, you can. It sounds like you can almost always find a game at the Jack in Cincinnati. That that is a game that's kind of taken off there. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's you know, because I'm always interested when I go around, and you know, I always ask folks if I don't see a limit game on the board. You know, how often do you get limit? And then we have a big chuckle about it, right? Um, and that's kind of the case there. I mean, the manager there said he's talked about probably maybe trying to do some incentives to get people to, to, to play a limit game, but he's not sure. But at least you have a variety there. So you've got no limit, you've got PLO. That's really all I'm looking for now. That's how sad poker's gotten for me now is I'm just looking for a two. I suck at any other game other than no limit <laughs> when I walk into it and see what I can play. Um, so at least they have a PLO game there, so that's pretty cool. And then the, the other thing that's always interesting when you go to big, crazy football towns, and obviously everywhere in Ohio is a big, crazy football town, is um, how weekends do during football season. And usually it's this, you could just see the sweat on the brow of the uh, poker manager. He's like, oh, you know, it's rough because people, for whatever reason, no matter how many TVs you have in a poker room, people would rather just be in front of their own TV. <laughs> watching their game right yeah yeah rather than playing cards so usually rooms really struggle during uh, saturdays and sundays depending on you know where they're located in the country and um so i asked him about that and um and he said he tried to he shifted some promotions to sundays now so the sunday promotions are much stronger than the saturday promotions um, or even maybe during the week promotions, and the end result is just kind of balanced out the business. So you know, they were like really busy on Saturday and kind of dead on Sunday, and now they're sufficiently busy on both days, and even above busy, the combined busyness is busier now because of that. So that's hmm. actually another win. So uh, that's one of those things too. Again, for our listeners out there uh, that think running a poker room is easy, um, this is another reason why it's hard. It's stuff like this. It's it's trying to get people into your room um, and uh, on the times that you need them to for staffing and all that kind of stuff. And it's a big puzzle. And, um, you know, it's a lot of credit to the managers that can figure out uh, how to solve these puzzles. Yeah, there are so many outside sources pulling for your entertainment dollar. You know, it's very difficult unless you're making a living at poker. If you look at poker as entertainment, there are other things that you might want to spend your money on. It's difficult for them to get them in. I know I always try to bring – I don't try to. I mean, I always end up bringing things back to bowling. But when I was a kid, junior leagues were were ubiquitous. I mean, every kid on the planet bowled in a league when they were a kid. Now, junior leagues are like – in some places, some states, they're even – they're not existent. They don't even have them anymore. 
because there's just all this new stuff with social networking and game, you know, uh, you know, Pokemon all these Poke- yeah, Pokemon, all these games <laughs> they can play on their smartphones to Wii's and even like uh, the other stuff too, like these Astro Skates and there are yeah. all these things these kids can do now that the the sport is literally dying. And so I can imagine what it's like for poker in a major NFL city like that. Oh, it's got to be brutal for these guys during those you know eight months or whatever it runs. But yeah, it's it's not an easy job, man. It's not an easy job. You know, and I see parallels too. Uh, one of my friends from high school owns a bar here in Columbus, and I was uh, hanging out with her last night and talking about traffic as well too. And she's like, you know, yeah, summer's a dead month, a dead sum- season for me because people wouldn't be outside. She doesn't have an outdoor area there. Um, but she says, when it gets winter, you know, I'm packed in here every night. And it's just interesting that you, and of course she has the staff and order beer and all that, you know, based on those projections. And same with the poker rooms, you know, yeah. they got to figure out where the traffic is and when it's going to be heaviest or not. And you can try to do things to get people in uh, on slow times. But um, a lot of these things where I've talked to poker managers where they, they spend a lot of their pro- promotional money trying to get people in, it, it's it's maybe picked up a game or two maybe. Um which is nice, but then they put so much promotional funds in there that it actually dropped off elsewhere, and overall they're down. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the month, you know, when you send that report to the GM, you want it to be higher than they expect, right? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether yeah. it's all on Saturdays or whether it's steady seven days a week. Um, so you had to consider that as well too. So you know, it's it's a big dartboard out there, and um, you know, I, I don't think players really realize how difficult that is sometimes. My biggest takeaway from your trip to Ohio is I'm going to now call you Clinger. Clinger? <laughs> I can imagine you uh, being a horrible soldier and like wearing dresses to get out of duty. Get out of Call of Duty. So your nephew can come up to you, Uncle Scott, let's play Call of Duty. And you're putting on like lipstick. No, I can't do it. I can't I, get I'm drafted. I'm not really sure whether I'm the first one to do this, but I would not be surprised if someone told me I actually died in basic training. <laughs> I grenaded myself in basic training. I couldn't, couldn't even get out of uh, Georgia. The type of guy that needs to do a Section 8 and get out of the Army, I think, is what it is. <laughs> All right, well, this was on the show notes last week, but we had a lot of other stuff going on. But uh, Ryan Furpo, who made the movie Bet, Raise, Fold, has completed a pilot for a new poker TV comedy called Lockboxes. Pause for awesomeness on the name. <laughs> um, set in the year 2009, it follows two brothers coming out of the recession looking for a new source of income, and they stumble upon online poker. Um, there's a couple clips of it that you can see online, and uh, Chris, I'm sure, will put the link in the uh, show notes on pokerradius.com. Uh, I think it looks promising. Um, right now, it's obviously like all these pilots in search of a network or a streaming deal, so we don't know where or if it will ever be produced, but uh, what did you think of it? Um, I I like it. I one of the things that I I always have trouble with these types of shows is if it's uh, marketed toward being a poker show. I think it's going to be hard to sell. Right. If it's marketed, if if you totally go the other way with it and just highlight the funny stuff or highlight the interesting stuff and make it appealing to a broad audience, and then oh by the way, while they're watching it, they're finding out these guys are poker players or struggling or whatever, then it's like oh I didn't know that. It was, oh this is kind of cool. And then they learn about poker too on top of it, and then maybe they brings them in. And but if it's strictly, hey, not strictly, but I mean if it's promoted as these poker player guys try to be poker players you know you're only going to get a poker audience and there's not a big enough audience for a television show or or a streaming show to survive so i liked it but i think you know i'm biased because i'm a poker player so yeah i think you kind of need to hit that um league 
kind of vibe. And I don't know if we talked about the league on this show before. Too. Yeah, a little bit. I think we have. Yeah, you know that great show that was on FX and no longer is on about fantasy football. I mean, it was probably too heavy fantasy football for the average person that's not into fantasy football. They really enjoy, but they did develop those characters into funny people outside of that. And and some episodes of football was like barely even mentioned, right? Yeah. Um. So I think that's that's the key, right? It, it has to have enough poker in it to get poker heads to watch it. Um, and be realistic about the poker as well too um, but to get a wider audience it, it's got to go beyond that so when people are watching them like multi-table on 18 screens that they are initially wowed but interested enough to stick with it and not bored by something that they don't know which is why I think uh, remember when we got that special invite to go see that Justin Timberlake poker movie yes. right but the, it, uh, critically acclaimed runner runner yeah runner runner but it, it really wasn't about poker Right. So it got us in, and then we were like, I'm waiting for the poker, and there was no poker. So that's the delicate balance, sort of like a poker room manager and a pro football to town. You know what I mean? You've got to find this delicate balance where poker players are going to be like, oh, I'm going to watch this because it's got poker in it. But as they're watching it, they want to like the show for the show, and then vice versa. They want to watch the show because they brought those people who aren't poker players in to like the show what it is and say, oh, there's poker in it, and then learn that way. You know what I mean? It's got to be a real delicate balance. I don't know. It's hard to do. Runner Runner didn't do it, that's for sure. Well, and Runner Runner's problem was that it it hit all those things, I think. I think it hit enough poker and was fairly realistic enough. I mean, I didn't travel to Costa Rica back in the day, but I I didn't think any of that was outlandishly um, made up. so it had enough poker and it did it all right. Uh, the problem was the movie just sucked. You know? <laughs> well, but it had poker in the first twelve minutes. Then there was no more poker. Well, but then it was about kind of like you know running an online site in Costa Rica. So yeah, you're, there wasn't any like hands being played. But right. I think you know for people interested in poker, it, it carried that through. It just was a terrible movie, and you know it doesn't matter whether what you're trying to do with the show or um, a movie. If it sucks, it sucks. Yeah. And so the first 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 rule is make sure it doesn't suck. <laughs> make sure it's good and then from there then yeah if you can make these hooks work to, to draw some people and that's great um, where I think this one has some advantage uh, now I only watched like the one commercial I didn't watch the other ones the one clip so um, it certainly didn't make me laugh and it's a comedy so that's kind of a problem yeah. but um, I think it was more just kind of trying to set things up uh, so I'll give it a pass that you know once if I watch 22 straight minutes or whatever that I will laugh uh, but I, I think the story that they set up is fine. You've got these brothers that you know lost their job, and now they're hanging out together. I mean, people can relate to brothers hanging out, right? At least yeah. I know I can. Yeah. Um, and looking for something, and then they end up being movers, right? And then they deliver this furniture to this big mansion where this you know young girl answers the door, and they're like, hey, we need to see your parents. And she's like, this is my house. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> and then finds out that you know, she and this big team are playing poker. So, I mean, it has a lot of things that I think are interesting, uh, both for the poker audience and the non-poker audience, the way they set it up where they can take those characters in different ways if they choose to. Um, like I so said, now they got to find a way to bring the funny. But um, but I hope it gets picked up at least. I mean, I'd like to see more of it. Yeah, I definitely want something that's in our field, in our industry, to, to succeed. And I wish Ryan all the best luck, you know. Hey, any updates? The Antioch Poker Tour will be returning to Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, with a nine-event series that runs October 28th to November 9th and ends with an $800 buy-in, 100 k guarantee main event, the winner of which will appear on the cover of Antioch Magazine. For all the details, visit anyupmagazine.com slash Pearl River. Now, it's also time to get serious here. 
we need some ambassadors uh, here uh, in around the country. We're we're starting to get some spots that we really need help with. Um, if you'd like to contribute to our magazine and uh, be sort of the the person in your poker community with the finger on the pulse, uh, we'd really like to have you guys uh, apply. Antiupmagazine.com slash ambassadors. Our media openings are Michigan, North Florida, Reno, Louisiana, and the Pacific Northwest. So. Um, very good poker communities in all those areas, and uh, plenty of opportunity for you to uh, to make a name for yourself writing and uh, just being an amb- ambassador for us. So we uh, we can use your help. Let us know. Uh, also, AnnieUpPokerRoom.com. Uh, you can join our website and compete for weekly cash in the monthly winners tournament for five hundred bucks in cash and prizes. The AnnieUpPokerRoom.com costs fourteen ninety five a month and is open to players in twenty five states where sweepstakes laws allow play. Yeah, what I like about the Annie updates. It's kind of like the guitar solo of a concert. <laughs> I get tired of reading the same yeah, you know, way you've I've written played, it every week. So I've been singing and I've been out front for most of the show, and then I know it's time to spotlight your lovely voice so I can get up. And, and I actually walked in the kitchen, got a drink, came back. Didn't need to worry about missing anything. And I like to read it in my own sort of <laughs> my own voice, as they say, you know. Uh, each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we'll do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a copy of Rye Morrison's new book, Counting Cards in Texas Hold'em Poker, available on com for $11. This comes from Dane. says, There are so many ways people check in poker. Most tap the table, say check, or do something else very clear and universally understood. Sometimes, though, maybe because people are getting bored from check folding for long stretches and feel just feel the need to throw their own personality into it, these actions can get crazy extravagant or sometimes unclear. There is the silent pointing to the next to act, some weird waving motion like they are physically pushing the action to the next player, and once I ran into a guy who would sometimes just say, yep, like, that is all that is needed. This usually harmless most of the time, but uh, sometimes infuriating practice also bleeds into the folding action sometimes. Like when someone goes for style points and helicopters their cards several feet in the air to hopefully land in the muck unseen by others still in the hand. This practice drives me especially crazy. What are your thoughts on this? Should card rooms start employing some guidelines as to what constitutes a check and what a proper fold should be? Some of these can be obvious, obviously, wait, some of these can obviously be angle shot with someone saying, oh, I didn't check when they did one of their motions that resembles a previous check motion. And someone with a quick eye can probably see the bottom of the cars that are flying over their heads. <laughs> I understand some liberties will probably have to be allowed, but I think a line should be drawn somewhere. Well, I can answer this two ways. One, uh, the way that we usually answer when we get this question is that uh, this kind of stuff is uh, discussed in nauseum at the Poker TDA Summit every two years, and the next one will be next summer in Vegas. So I am sure it will be discussed um, ridiculously long there, um, including the check thing was a big thing at the last one, um, whether it needs to be more standards or what um, what freedom rooms have to tell someone, hey, you know, tapping on your ball cap is not a check. <laughs> I'm so glad you said ball cap. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't. Be, I'm so glad that's what you said. At first, I wasn't sure what you said. Now I'm glad I know that's I'm sure what the you, other thing wouldn't count as check. 
Um, so uh, rest assured that, that this is a situation that poker groups struggle with, um, and um, some are looking for um, someone to be the big bad wolf and tell them, here's the rules for it. Um, whether that happens or not, I never get the sense when I'm at the TDA Summit that there's a lot of um, overwhelming res- uh, desire to strengthen these kind of things. Um, I, I think um, some of these poker managers just think that, uh, and rightfully so, that they train their staff very well and their staff can handle that and their staff can point out. I mean, by staff, I mean the dealers can say, hey, is that a check or not? And be clear, clarify it as it goes rather than just you know accept these weird things. Uh, or to also, you know, politely admonish players for doing wrong things. Like, per, per, particularly the helicoptering is not accepted anywhere. It shouldn't be, at least. Even though it's probably not. Um, I, I th- actually think the word helicopter does appear in the poker TDA rules at some point. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think there's a specific rule on it. I think it's one of those four examples, helicoptering. But I could be wrong. But, uh, but uh, you know, that obviously usually in any good room they're going to shut that down. Um so uh, that's the official answer. The unofficial answer is, um, yeah, I'm right there with you, Dane. I, I, I hate when players can't just – there's nothing wrong with tapping the table clearly in front of your cards or saying check. There, there really isn't. <laughs> so the fact that people need to you know, go for the daytime Emmy um, with all this other stuff – um, does kind of bother me. Um, maybe not to the degree that's bothering him because I do think, you know, as long as people are consistent with what they're doing and it's not anything ridiculous, the, the up guy would drive you crazy. But, you know, tapping with one finger, I mean, even the pointing to the next act, I think that you're, you're indicating, hey, I am, you know, checking to that person. Um, doesn't bother me too much um, as long as it's consistent. And I think that's the problem is sometimes, you know, people do that and then the next time they'll tap on uh, finger and then say, oh, I didn't check. And they're like, well, you've been doing crazy stuff all day, so how are we supposed to know what your crazy ones are and what your real ones are? Uh, but clearly, um, I would like my nephew to call the duty, shoot these helicopters out of the air that when they do that. This drives me insane. Yeah, the, the, I think the ones where they have their arms crossed on the rail and then they just tap their index finger on their own arm. You know, It's like, come on, guys. I mean, the, the point of it is that it needs to be visual for everyone if you're going to use a visual. The guy sitting right next to you can't see your finger going up and down on your forearm. You right. know, Those things drive me crazy. I'm totally on board with all of this. Everything you just said, I'm totally on board with that. It's 100%. It needs to be clear and visual. This is a game of visual cues and communication. You know, Make it easier for everybody. Don't just be this. You're that lazy. you got to tap your own forearm. Come on. Well, there's also there's something to be said that a good dealer makes sure the game runs properly, so they will clarify your action, um, or they will, you know, I like the dealers that, that their eyes are following the action as well, too, so when the dealer's looking at me, I know it's on me, right? Right. Um, so I, you know, obviously I need to pay attention to the action, I need to be responsible for that, but it's nice that dealer's moving things around. Um, and then also the player responsibility, so if you are not doing one of these standard accepted things by verbally saying check or you know tapping the table clearly um you have to be responsible for your action and you know if you're doing one of these crazy other things and the dealer moves on that's not their problem that's your problem so you got to be sure you're following the action and you can stop and say hey wait a minute i didn't check yet and hold the action up before somebody makes an action after you that messes things up right and before you make sure if you're not sure the guy was checking or not or if it's looked really vague ask him was that a check Right, you know, right. So you don't exactly. screw it up either. Hey, find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. 
Email us at podcast at com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Why did I say that? I, don't, nice. I, I all of a sudden I got this really thick accent or something. I don't know what happened. <laughs> comes from our friend Doc uh, Toscano, you know, Dr. Frank from our home game. He says, in a casino tournament, we were down to the final three tables. The tournament brush, who was inexperienced, came to my table and told the dealer that he wanted to balance the tables. When the present hand was over, he wanted to move the next big blind. That would be me sitting in seat five. The dealer told him I was not in the present hand, so he could take me to another table now, but he didn't. He turned away toward the other two tables, but did not indicate that I should follow him, and he didn't bring me a rack or a seat card. He came back over to my present table a second time and instructed the dealer to not deal me into the next hand. Then he disappeared again. So the button moved to seat three, Seat four posted the small blind. Uh, seat five, me, sat out, and seat six was the big blind. The hand played out rather quickly, and the brush was nowhere to be seen. The button moved to seat four, and now it was time to deal the next hand, so that the dealer, so the dealer called the floor. The floor came over. He said he had uh, a decade of floor experience, and he'd worked the World Series of Poker, but he had never had a situation like that come up before. The tables were balanced, so he couldn't move me. I suggested that I could post a single big blind, buying the button, essentially. But he said, uh, I own, oh, I am not allowed to post in a tournament. Someone at the table suggested that he move me to seat 10 at my own table, since that seat happened to be empty. He didn't like that idea either. The discussion went on for several minutes. Meanwhile, the level ended and the blinds went up. Finally, a supervisor showed up and said he didn't know what to do either. They decided to let me keep my seat, but have me sit out a second hand, missing both of my blinds and two antes. Then the button would skip over me, and I could play the subsequent hand from the cutoff. It was okay with me since I missed paying my blinds, but it didn't seem fair to the other players at my table. Several of them grumbled about decision. For the life of me, I can't think of another way to resolve a missed big blind in a tournament. So what's the ruling? Elliot says, cue the circus music. <laughs> You don't have circus music. <laughs> How's that? This is a low-budget show. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, you manage to get out of your blinds without being moved to another table. Unless a player is being moved immediately, the player must be dealt in as all players must be dealt in. That sounds like the easiest way to not get eliminated from the tournament. The force is strong with you. <laughs> to confirm what was said by the experienced supervisor in the situation, this really doesn't ever happen, especially since moving the big blind to worse position, balancing has become universal. Not paying the blinds as you manage to do or posting blinds as you offer to do are not viable solutions. Each pot must have one big blind and the antis for each player, and that is it. The small blind may be dead due to, to an eliminated big blind players, but only one small blind may be in the pot as well. Every tournament hand must be played under ideally identical conditions in fairness to all players. It's time for me to brandish my Solomonic <laughs> sword. Oh, boy. I would have had you trade places with a player at another table who was about to take the big blind. I would have this player take the worst possible position at your now former table. You have to get back into the action as soon as possible, and you must post the blinds everyone else has. The only way to accomplish this without having extra blinds posted into a pot is for you to change tables. Jeez. That is really bizarre. I will say I did not think of that solution. So, again, that's why Elliot gets paid the big bucks, and I just you know chat with you every Thursday on the show. Um, uh, that does make seem to make sense to me. I mean, you still got out of posting your blinds and stuff, but at least now you're back in action quicker. You're not really inconveniencing someone else other than that person, unfortunately, gets to move to a table you didn't need to move, right? 
Um, but it does seem like a, a good solution. Uh, well, a, a, the only acceptable solution, let's say. Um, is there a reason that they couldn't just post? Why you couldn't just put the blind in on the next hand? I'm sure there is. Um, I'm going to say that because it's a tournament, it's it's different because you can't just have people posting, and then that might take off and become a standard thing when it shouldn't be. I mean, quite honestly, we just they just screwed this up big time. Yeah. So I don't think the right solution is to introduce new procedures that aren't universally accepted. So you have to find a way to fix the problem based on what is is accepted and. You know, as Elliot said, posting blinds in tournaments is not accepted. So, um, it, I, I would like to see where this person kept disappearing to when it's a three-table tournament. Yeah, what the heck's going on? Uh, I mean, can't you take like three steps and see all tables? Yeah. Uh, or is this tournament being run with tournament tables all over the room, which <laughs> is a bigger problem, right? Yeah. Um, that would be interesting. I would like to actually have a, um, you know, you're on candid camera, hidden camera, just to find out where this guy disappeared to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a brand new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are still in that $2-$5 game from last episode. We took a huge pot, but have since lost several and are now only up 100. We sit with 6. The button straddles, the small blind calls, the big blind calls, under the gun and MP fold, and we're in the cutoff with the king of diamonds, queen of diamonds. This is probably a raising hand in this situation, but after losing a few hundred, a man can get a little gun shy. We call. The button checks, and with $40 in the pot, the flop is the king of clubs, eight of spades, four of diamonds. The small blind checks, and the big blind bets 30. He started the hand with 435. The big blind is a solid player, but he can be a little too tight. We're going to raise it up. We make it $75 to go. The button folds, the small blind folds, and the big blind thinks for a short time before calling. The pot is just under 200 at 190, and the turn is the deuce of hearts. Once again, the big blind checks. We're going to stab at it again. We make it 125 to go. The big blind thinks for a lot longer on this decision. Does he think we flopped a set? He calls. The pot is 440 and the river is the nine of diamonds. Once again, the big blind checks. What's the move? It's time for Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. This week's prize is an upgraded membership to pokerradius.com, poker's best social networking site and home in the anti-up group discussions. Comes from a new listener, Matt Eden. And uh, see, he says it's been a... Uh, actually, not you, new listener, but we haven't heard from him in a while. He says right. it's been a year since he first ran into uh, us when he was a fresh-faced 18-year-old small stakes recreational player. So it's probably about time I bothered you guys again. A winky emoji. <laughs> uh, I can now report that uh, through listening to your show and good old-fashioned practice over the last year, I'm now playing much more regularly and successfully and even won the chance to play at the UK Championships early this year. Okay, bragging over, he says. I don't know. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That, that you actually became a better player by listening to us. That's, that's really cool. It's almost impossible, but really cool. <laughs> Just imagine how good of a player you'd be if he didn't listen. If he didn't exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, this hand comes from the Poker Stars uh, $1, $2 no limit home Zoom game. Oh, and uh, he says, I've been playing this session for about an hour, having bought in for $150. At this point, we're up a decent amount to 
never got the actual sense before. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, because this is Zoom pay- poker, I really don't have much history on any of the other folks at the table, although I'm beginning to get the feeling that one or two guys are starting to notice that I sometimes raise my button pretty light. In this hand, though, the blinds post and it folds around to me on the button, and I look down at Ace of Hearts, Jack of Clubs, and before you chime in, uh, or before we have the awkward silence where you're waiting to chime in, uh, for folks that don't know what Zoom is, essentially when you fold, and this is a Poker Stars thing, I was also on Fold Tilt, when you fold, you immediately move to another table and get another hand. Yep. Right. And your position, bottom, your position is always the right position, too. So That's correct. You're not paying like blinds randomly every single time. So you're constantly being put like in the right, the right position as well when you move to a new table. So it's really complicated like software. I can imagine who came up with Whoever wrote that program was just... Genius. Yeah. Well, for lots of reasons. One, it keeps the action going, so you never get bored, right? You yeah. always have a hand. Um, and then it, it's kind of like this other kind of meta thing, right? Where where Matt's talking about here, um, some of the players are beginning to notice that. Uh, so what's happening is you've got to keep track of players. They keep popping in and out of your table, right? Yeah. So um, you're not always at your table, but when this guy pops back in, you're like, okay, now you got to remember that guy. I was the guy that was in the sixth seat earlier, and uh, now he's back. So um, actually, it takes a lot of effort, I think. Yeah, it's not easy, and it's hard. I can't even, I can't even imagine how the Zoom gets going either, because like, how does it start? Like, what if all the tables are empty, and then you start a Zoom? It's like you're the only table right now. You can't Zoom, and then when they start another table, you're the only one, and then eventually they can... It's, you got to have, like, ten tables going to have a proper Zoom going. It's, it's yeah, really that's, bizarre. that's a good point, yeah. It, it might be zoom list as you start, and then it becomes... Yeah. As you get... Well, All right, so could you tell me again, did you, did you say what position we were in with the Ace yes, Jack? Yes, uh, we are on the button, it's been folded to us, and we have the Ace of Hearts Jack of Clubs. Well, this is, this is, this is easy right now. I mean, a lot of people, when they play Zoom tend to play strictly ABC poker and only big hands because they're going to see so many hands so fast so t- that they're just waiting for why get involved with a crappy hand when you're playing so many hands. So a lot of people play that way. Um, this is a quality hand on the button. This is this is a huge hand on the button, to be honest. So I've got no problem raising. Um, you know, and, and it depends on what you're looking for. Are you looking to get heads up with somebody and you want to play a hand with this, or are you looking to just take the blinds and move on? This is the type of hand that I would – I'd like to get involved with somebody who wants to get cute, like with Jack-10, and it comes Jack-high, and then I take a stack. So um, I'm definitely raising here. I don't know what the standard raise was in a Zoom table for a 1-2 game, but if it's something like 6 or 7, that's what I'd make it. Um, I mean, I can see – I can make an argument for making it 5 or something and enticing them, but I don't want both of them to come along. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm trying to get up with one, so – yeah, I think you're right. Is you know, if I can keep picking up the blinds everywhere I get Zoom, that's that's a good day. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if I have a, a decent hand, I want to get more value than just the blinds. So this is one of those sweet spots where, you know, if we get the blinds, that's great. But we do have a, a bigger hand on a button than people normally would give us credit for. So if we do uh, end up heads up and have to play this out, I'm fine with that as well too. Uh, but I'm with you. I think um, the only bad. Um, uh, outcome here is to have both blinds with us. So yeah. um, I'd like to have one uh, one or none coming with us with this. So yeah, whatever the standard raise, I'm just going to do it because people aren't going to give me our credit for actually having a real hand here, right? So Yeah, and, and that's what Matt, too, his comment earlier was he's starting to get the feeling that there are a couple of players who have picked up that I might raise with my button light. So they might be playing light two now, and we actually have a quality hand. So that is to come into play later, maybe too. I don't know if these players Perfect. he goes against. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. 
Um, all right, so he raises the six, yeah, and he says, uh, thinking that if I pick up the blinds up, that would be fine. Equally, if I get a call, I don't mind seeing a flop with these cards. However, the villain in the small blind quickly pops it to $21, the big blind folds. All right, well, if the villain is one of those guys, you know, who thinks that I'm just raising light, then I might even repop him, or I might call and enjoy my position against him. Um, this is a pretty good hand, and he might not believe me. Uh, he might just be saying, hey, I'm going to steal a quick six bucks and zoom and move on, you know. Um, so, you know, if I'm feeling a little feisty and I can feel like I know this player from earlier zoom tables and he knows me the way he thinks he addressed earlier, then, yeah, I think I'm I'm going to either call or re-raise. I don't think I'm going to re-raise with Ace-Jack. I can get into trouble there. No, I don't think so. I may call, though, because I think he might doesn't he doesn't believe me. And if something comes like an Ace or a Jack high, I think we're going to get into it. Right. Um, all right. Our hero says, I think about this for a while, and I consider a few things. One, I have a big ace. Two, I have position. Three, like I said earlier, it's starting to get noticed that I don't often have the goods when raising the button. And for this reason, I briefly contemplate a four bet, but ultimately just click call. Uh, we go to the flop with $44 minus the rake in the middle, and the flop comes jack of diamonds, four of spades, tray of hearts, and the villain bets $15. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. It's very, it's very hard for me to imagine this guy had queens, kings, or aces and was repopping it pre against somebody he thinks raises light all the time. I think if you knew this guy was going to raise any two cards on his button, you might just call with those and trap. Right. So for me, I feel like we're ahead just from those types of scenarios that have happened to me in the past. So I feel like we're ahead. I, I don't think we need to protect against anything right now. I mean, it. There is a draw for a small straight, but really, it feels like somebody who's doing what he was doing probably didn't do it with five six um, or something like that. Five deuce. So I feel like we're we're way ahead here. I, I really do. Um, but I have position. I might enjoy a call here, and then when the turn comes, something raggy. Uh, you know, maybe now the guy thinks he's you know that we're floating him, or and he might bet, or he might check, and we feel like we're floating, so then we bet, and then he doesn't believe... So there's all kinds of scenarios that are in our favor here. Um, I might just call here and keep the pot controlled and see what happens. Yeah, I like that idea. I mean, I certainly could defend a raise here because you don't... His... Our opponent's range, I think, is actually pretty wide here because of the fact that we generally are kind of light there, and um, you know, it could be those big hands that, although I think you're right, that um, they would probably want to try to trap us. Um, It could be all kinds of different pairs, right? So, you know, any other card comes and it could be up against a set. The fact that it's a rainbow board here, right, and I'm not too worried about the, the two wheel cards there, making me feel kind of confident that I, I could peel another one off here before I get too frisky. Um, but certainly if somebody wants to say a raise here, I, I could defend that. But I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to call here and um, try to draw some more money out of this guy on the next um, – street before I start getting frisky. Yeah. Um, all right. Here it says top pair, top kicker is pretty much what we, uh, we're uh, going, hoping to achieve when we play this hand in the first place with no obvious draws in there. I feel pretty comfortable calling here, especially given that I feel King, King or Queen, Queen would bet a larger amount. At this point, I feel like Jack 10 suited is quite possible. Uh, there's 74 in the pot. When the turn comes to five of clubs, so our board now is Jack of diamonds, four of spades, Tray of hearts, five of clubs, and our opponent checks. 
Yeah, now I'm I'm betting. Yeah. I mean, it's I think it's clear that he was trying to play back at us. Um, probably had a decent little starting hand, you know, something that he thought if he gets it called, then he's got something he could play with. But I really don't feel like we're behind now. I think I'm going to bet. Well, would you say it was in the pot? 74, right? 74, yep. Um, yeah, I'll bet like 45 or something. 45, I, yeah, yep. something like that. I think that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I kind of wish we knew what our opponent had in a stack, too. Cause that oh, could, yeah. So what we could do in terms of putting some pressure on him or whether, you know, we're not putting any pressure on him. But absence of that information, I, I like kind of like a half pot bet here. And, um, you know, if he's really slowing down some kind of crazy hand, then great. But it, it does seem like um, we are ahead here, and now we got to get some money out of his, his hand. Yep. Yeah, I think we're ahead. Uh, all right. Uh, our hero says he's obviously not scared of putting chips in the middle because of his three-bet preflop. Uh, but unless he was uh, putting me on ace-deuce, I'm not sure why this card should scare him particularly. However, I'm also aware that if I put in a bet and it gets shoved on, I'm now hating my life. So perhaps too passively, I check back. Oof. Yeah, I agree. I, I not that I think that, that he's going to catch up on the next one, but he could have something like king queen here somehow, and then he's going to you know six outer on you, you know, or something on right. the end when you when you could have yeah. just taken this hand down. There's no way a check there means strength. This guy, there's no way this guy's got some massive hand that he's willing to take. Let another free card go, not another free card, but a free card go when he's trying to protect his hand now, especially since a borderline tricky card came you know um i really don't think i mean that puts a second spade on there it completes some weird straights but if you had like pocket fives now you're open-ended he's gonna want to bet indy you know what i mean so there's all kinds of reasons to bet here and he didn't so i i can't check and give him a free card i'm gonna put out like i said yeah, it's really not 50. scared of this but it, it it would be very interesting if this guy ends up turning over ace deuce doesn't it yeah a suited ace deuce where he's like you know hey this guy's been kind of light uh pre-flop this he's like this guy's been kind of light i'm gonna pop him here and see if i can take it and then call and then you gotta do your standard c-bet out when you kind of got like this gut shot um and then wham you hit your actual hand on the turn so now your hand is so disguised now that that the proper play probably is to check and try to induce a bet um and let somebody try to catch up so it is interesting that that could be a possibility when, when our hero is talking about the, him worrying about the villain putting him on that. Um, I, I seriously doubt that's what he has, but it, it, it would be interesting if that showed up because it would play the same way. But, yeah, well, the other thing, too, is here's what I was going to say to that when you first started to bring it up was, you know, if he had ace deuce, the only reason I can think of him checking there would be if he thought we truly were floating and just that type of player and we're going to make some sort of bluff at it. You'd have to that we're going to bet. There. Yeah. And it, it's a free card. Yeah. So that's the only thing because he would want to protect against the four card straight coming out and him, you having pocket sevens and his ace deuce is useless or a flush getting there that you let him backdoor into, you know, or something like that. So really, but if you're playing this hand and you think that this guy had a hand, that's why he raised into you, meaning Matt then you would think he's supposed to be betting here. So he's supposed to be calling you if you're making a bet. Since it's only jack high, you're hoping you hit the jack and he can't get away from it. Even if you make the straight, you have to keep going along with that story and betting it and thinking that jack thinks he's good because he called you know, he called your bet earlier. So I, I, feel like, I feel like Ace Deuce is out of the realm of his hand now, just from all those reasons. There's only a couple of reasons to do it, and there's so many more to bet, and he didn't do it. So I yeah. feel like, yeah, I feel like Ace Deuce is out of the realm here, and we need to get our value for that jack. Um, all right. 
So obviously still 74 in the pot and the river is the six of spades. So our final board is jack of diamonds, four of spades, tray of hearts, five of clubs, six of spades. And after thinking for quite a while, the villain puts in a bet of $56. Uh, you know what? I was thinking the, the five earlier was a spade for some reason. That, so there was no uh, flush draw. So there was no flush draw to protect against, but yeah, it still was no. straight stuff. Okay. Um, 56? Yeah, I'll call. I'll snap call that. I'm I'm ready to call. I was going to bet 45 a minute ago, and I didn't. So I value a bet there of 40. I mean, I, there's always the, the you could raise, but since it's a four-card straight out there, he could have had sevens. He could have had eight, seven, you know, and done that earlier. So I'm not folding for 56, you know. Right, right. I'm Particularly just, because he could feel emboldened that we check behind. On the yeah, stealing from us. He had nothing either, so now his nothing might be better than our nothing, so he's going to bet. So, But, yeah, you're right. There's, there's enough danger now that I, I don't think it's prudent to raise. Yes. Um, and let's just take this down, hopefully. Yeah, we had a really ah. good hand, and the story he told us does not add up to a $56 bet now. Um, all right. Uh, he says, my first reaction is seeing a four-card straight on the board is not a positive one. But then I stopped to actually think about it. This still doesn't feel like he had his beat from the beginning. I'm not convinced Ace-Ace, King-King, or Queen-Queen would have checked the turn. I'm slightly worried about sets given that he could have been attempting a check raise on the turn is now value betting. But again, unless he has Jack-Jack, I think he would have just called my raise pre-flop. Plus, it's pretty unlikely that he has the other two Jacks in the deck. So then we have to consider the seven or the deuce. I just can't put on any hand that contains a seven or a deuce. Three bets be pre-flop. So I somewhat hesitantly call. The villain re- uh, reveals nine of diamonds, ten of diamonds, and we scoop a pot of $183.25. And I went on later to double up aces versus queens and cashed out a good session. That should pay the rent for another week. So he, he, the guy clearly thought that we were just, you know, raising light all the time on the button and decide, hey, I got a good hand. You know that I could play back with, and if I take it down now, it's zoom, and I'll get another hand instantly. And if not, I got a hand that I can go with. And then he saw a horrible flop, yeah. And then just tried to, and then when he gave up on the turn, that's when we should have taken it down. But we got fifty-six bucks out of him, so yeah. I was gonna say we got eleven more out of him than we would have had we played our way, because there's no way he's calling that uh, forty-five or whatever. I think we were gonna put in on the turn, right? Yeah, he so, wouldn't have called. So we got fifty-six more than actually fifty-six more, yeah, yeah, because he, he wouldn't have called the forty-five. So, um, but we we had to. There's no way we could have put him on nothing there either. I don't right. Think. Yeah, that was completely could put him in his range. You could have put him on. But what's really weird is feel confident to check behind there. I think what's yeah. really weird is that he he, I mean he bet. I mean I guess that's the right amount of bet too. No, never mind. I was, I was it's not really weird. I was just other thing I was thinking was too is that he showed the nine ten, but he has to show it when you when you call his bet. You know, I, I guess online. I was going to say, how did he know it was the nine ten? If if I had that bluff, I'd be like. Just scurrying in the corner somewhere, and but he yeah, has to show it right because you called it. Well, since we played online, yeah, I think you could still check and see what. Oh yeah, and you can go back and check the last. That's right. So anyhow, but but in Zoom, man, that, Zoom is like a rush, dude. It really is, and I know they call it that over at Full Tilt, but it was just that it was so crazy to play that game. I, I, it's hard to do. It, you got to stay focused. You got to like have Red Bull right next to you or something because it's it's brutal. Yeah, and um, what I think is interesting about this is his play is that, going back to what we said at the beginning of this hand, uh, I don't think there's really a strong reason to play nine, ten of diamonds in the small blind. And Zoom, I would argue, even in a basic one-two no-limit game, I think that's like a tournament or a higher limit, no-limit play to be made. I mean, just fold that and wait for a better spot, right? Yeah. But particularly at Zoom, I don't see any reason to do it because, you know, you're right, everybody's playing ABC. So, you know, I guess if you're 
you can make the argument that you're playing against type. If everybody else is playing ABC, then if you're playing a little different, then you might do all right. But you know, even if he's one of these players that's picked up that uh, Matt has been raising his buttons light, um, I don't I don't see a reason to defend your small blind there, particularly at this amount of money. I mean, he made a three and a half X on that, and then compelled himself to essentially do a C bet. And then got unlucky that we checked behind, and he felt good and was going to try to steal it on the end. So he ended up costing himself what seventy eight dollars on a play that he could have cost himself one dollar. One dollar, yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, I can see the whole hey, it's Zoom. If I play back at this guy who always raises light, I'm going to steal a quick six, seven, eight dollars and move on. I can see him kind of want to do that, just sort of saying, hey, I'm tired of this guy running over my. Or running over people in the blinds and stuff. So I mean, I can see him trying to make a statement, but a statement cost him seventy bucks or whatever, and it's just. But not worth but it. even that statement is, you would have to assume that these people are paying attention and know you, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that that, that Matt seems to be protecting or paying attention, and think people are paying attention is good. But you know, a lot of people. Again, it's been years since we played really good online poker, but it's. Um, you never know what's on the other side of that computer screen, right? It yeah. could be somebody that's watching TV, folding clothes, you know, responding to emails and not paying a lick of attention to anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Particularly in Zoom, it makes it even harder for that. So um, I, I think to actually go that, that next level and actually think this person's actually paying attention to how I play, um, I think that's a big leap. But, you know, yeah. obviously. And also, though... One two is actually a bigger game online than it is in real life too. So you know you might get slightly better players that there are paying attention. But uh, I would probably tend not to make a lot of decisions based on what I think other players are paying attention to how I'm playing in yeah, a Zoom. Definitely in Zoom, especially online. I mean, online you can you can do that in live play, but online it's so difficult to get a, a you know get focused in on something like that. It's just too specific. Hey, you know, I'm just realizing now that I, I called you Clinger, and you were in Toledo this week. Yeah, and, you know, when you first said it, I thought that's what you meant, and then you start talking about, you know, getting out of service. The nickname stuff. works on so many levels. It does, actually, yeah. I so. think it's going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. No, you're supposed to say it, I'm Clinger. Ah, I can't do it. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>